This is KGLP. I'm Bernie Dodson. This is Gallup News. Today we're talking with four different people who live and work in Gallup about alcoholism and drug addiction. Let's start with introductions. KGLP, Bernie Dodson, this is Gallup News. Ken Collins, uh, I'm with the Hojo Center here in Gallup. This is Jay Azua. I'm uh, presently uh, retired, working voluntarily and part-time with the Hojo Center in Gallup, New Mexico. Louis Maldonado, I am a citizen of Gallup. Christopher Bitsley, a recovering alcoholic and also a citizen of Gallup. Ken, in your capacity and what you do at the Hojo Center, and at some point we need to, to define, I guess, what Hojo is, what is your exact job title and what do you do at the Hojo Center? Um, thanks, Bernie. Uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting us to participate in this very um, useful subject. Uh, I do outreach. I'm the community outreach person at Hojo. Uh, I'm pretty much in the trenches uh, talking to people uh, about treatment, the importance of, of uh, getting off the streets. Most of the people I work with are homeless. Uh, they have a home, but they're here in Gallup, uh, and they're, they're considered homeless. But a lot of folks have homes. Uh, probably 80% of the people, 90% of the people that we work with that I, that I see are Navajo. Uh, and we're just trying to educate these individuals about... Uh, <coughs> How, the, how their brains work so that they can uh, relieve the stress. Right now they're on the, they're on the streets uh, just because I believe that, that it's really important for, for treatment. But uh, to assist their treatment objectives, I try to educate them about how stress impacts their brains and their reward center that causes them to drink. So the, the Hojo Center offers treatment and define treatment, but also education. Explain well, in a little more detail what kind of treatment, what kind of education, and so forth. Well, we're a peer-run organization, which means that all of us that, are, that work there with people have come from the same background. We all have been involved with drugs and alcohol. Uh, so we're there as a role model. Uh, we provide peer support in uh, support groups and one-on-one uh, peer support uh, using uh, certified peer support workers as a means to help really build the trust that's necessary for folks to, to uh, pursue getting into treatment and recovery. And, and how, how many years has... Hojo been in Gallup? I think 2005 when we were incorporated. Uh, Jay and I have been with it. Uh, Jay more than, uh, longer than I have. Uh, but yeah, since 2005. You believe that it's an organization that is needed, that works, 
and so and and so on. I mean, you, well, you yeah. feel that Hojo uh, Center is a place that is needed in McKinley well, County. Yes, it is, and we've gained the trust from people on the street to start down that road of recovery. Jazua is a former city councilman and Gallup native. Jay, say a little bit about some of the services that you are engaged in at Hojo. And what does Hojo mean? You're not Navajo, but I'm guessing that you know what the word Hojo means. What are some of the services, and uh, do you think those services are needed in a place like Gallup with with its high amount of DWI arrest? Do you think Hojo is needed? And what are some of the services offered over there? Well, uh, I, I came with a definition of Hojo. The word, it's a Navajo word, uh, basically means harmony. But Hojo is viewed as retaining harmony with nature and pres- preserving a balance between an individual and the universe. It integrates the individual with the community and the world that surrounds them. That's what Hojo means. Basically, uh, harmony and homeostasis and peace of mind within your own environment uh, and exercising your God-given right to be who you are. Services-wise, what are some of the more popular things that people engage in over there? Probably the interaction with each other uh, in an area of comfort and safety, uh, realizing that everybody in the circle with them is probably... uh, of the same environment and has a past. We all have a story, uh, but they can feel comfortable in sharing their story, knowing that the people that they're discussing uh, matters with uh, or particular issues uh, can be related to on a, on a grassroots level, at a ground level. What's the cost? I mean, how does somebody get acquainted with and how does somebody, I guess, qualify to... to you know, be a part of Hojo? I mean, how does somebody even integrate themselves well, within the whole thing? All they need is a belly button uh, to integrate themselves into the Hojo meaning. That is the environmental uh, and surrounding areas and community of with other human beings. However, Hojo, uh, for the sake of the work that we do there, is basically a street-level interaction with individuals who are having trouble with their environment. Primarily... Uh, or specifically uh, mental health issues and drug addiction or alcohol. Would you say the organization is related to somebody's socioeconomic class? So far what I've heard is street level. Let's let's say somebody is not street level. Let's say somebody has a white-collar job and so forth. Can that kind of person take (coughs) advantage and use what Hojo offers. Most certainly. Uh, Meaning it's not just confined to no, street No, it's people. not specific. Uh, and the issues of mental health and, and substance abuse disorders uh, could include any strata in life. Uh, socioeconomics is not uh, a qualifier. However, the people we associate with primarily in our outreach programs uh, are what we would consider street-level individuals, maybe perhaps homeless or for whatever reason can't return home, uh, having burned most of their bridges. But anyone, considering their personal issues and matters related to uh, homeostasis, 
can come and we're more than happy to sit down and see where they're at and see if we can get them somewhere right. if they're not content. Louis Maldonado is a native of Flagstaff, Arizona, and is a, can we say, citizen advocate, Louis? Yes. In, in what regard do you advocate for citizenry, and what's your stance on places like Hojo and the kind of people and problems it serves? The um, rehabilitation places, I am not against. I'm for them because I continue to try and help the people with a problem. However, the problem never decreases. It always increases because it is a thing that an individual has to deal with. In other words, we, no one can quit drinking for somebody else. That person with that problem has to be the one that quits. Right. Some people can't do it on their own. They need... Well, that's the only way it's going to happen, though. Mm -hmm. It's the only way it's going to happen. It's not that they're not understanding what these organizations are trying to do. They understand completely. They know they're on the wrong path. But the addiction does not allow. And so they just say, to hell with it. Right. I want to do my thing. You have been very critical of the alcohol problem in Gallup, the fact yes. that it, it leads to state in DWI arrest, that it has dozens of more liquor licenses than what it should have, and that it looks like on the surface, according to things I've seen in writing by you, that it's uh, primarily Native Americans that are impacted by this. Can in this say, area, mm, yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In this area. But, of course, there are areas where there are no Native Americans and the problem still exists. Right. Okay, there's no Natives in France or Germany or Spain, uh, and they have the uh, same mm -hmm. problem we have. How did it turn so out? You cannot blame it all on the Natives. True. How did it turn out where Gallup has more than its share of liquor licenses? Practically, it's... I'm sure it's a violation if somebody purchases <coughs> it. I don't think any county is supposed to have in excess of X amount of liquor licenses, but Gallup has a lot of them. How did that turn out that way? And does anyone have their eyes on the fact that there are too many liquor licenses in Gallup? Everyone knows that there are too many. And, of course, the people in power are the ones that allow that. Those of us that complain, complain I, I to get, no avail. Mm, I guess the point being, if there are too many, of course does it, doesn't many. that contribute to some extent to abuse? Well, if, if there were half as many, the problem would still exist. See, now, I've written here, my reason for continuing to be critical of the alcohol problem in Gallup is that the problem gets progressively worse year after year. And that's a known fact. That's not a, a rumor or an opinion. It gets worse. Okay, now, like I said a minute ago, if the, if, the, uh, if the alcohol licenses were cut in half, the problem would not be cut in half. It would still be there. Because the drunks, a drunk is a drunk. That's it. Uh, I'm not following that reason, reasoning. Well, in other if, words... If the alcohol if, if, licenses were 
decreased, we'd still have a problem. Absolutely. It'd be just as great. It'd be just as great. Because here is what is happening all over, not just in Gallup. The parents are drinking and drugging with their own children. That's insanity. Okay, so then those children drink again. This is 2021. I, I, I don't disagree with you. But if that is a scenario, that is alarming. And somebody should do something about it. It is. I mean, and that's, that's a fact, okay? There, here, not too long, too many years ago, there are some that are listening to this that will remember this. A grandmother, and she happened to be Native, and her daughter and her granddaughter, all of them were busted for drugs. In the 40s and the 30s, when I was growing up, Natives did not mess with drugs at all. Alcohol, yes. And, of course, in those days, it was bootleg uh, alcohol because sales to natives was not, did not happen until 1953. Okay, so there's where that is. Right. I, I guess the addiction part and everything that stems from it, arrest, abuse, and so forth, are a result of the human condition. That means as human beings, we all have vulnerabilities and and things we like to do and so forth. So I'm going to use the word attack. When you attack alcoholism and you, you know, indicate how bad and, you know, disadvantage, how much of a disadvantage it is, you're attacking really the human condition. Would you agree with that? Anybody, not you, just generally any, anybody. Well, the, the um, alcohol thing is, I mean, we're told in the Bible that even uh, uh, um, Noah, when he got off the ark, planted grapes, and it took some years to grow, and then he fermented them and got drunk. Okay? So this goes back a long, long way. This is not anything new. See, it's simply that the, as far as the uh, solution, as long as the parents continue to drink with their children, this is never going to end. It's going to get progressively worse, right? That, and regardless that, and, of the number of, of licenses. Correct, and it, that's one scenario, but of all the liquor licenses in Gallup, in McKinley County, you think if you take away half of them, you think you're still going to have an alcohol problem. And probably, and probably that's related to the human condition. We all are human beings. We all just have some kind of addiction. And, and you can't do anything about that. But in terms of solution, or at least bettering the situation, how can the situation be bettered? How can we decrease the amount of DWI arrest? How can we just get rid of some of the liquor licenses, and so forth. I mean, what what is the remedy to the situation, you think? The DWI laws you mentioned need to have teeth. parents. Mm -hmm. they're, they're toothless. In other words, they give them, the judges give them 365 days in jail with 360 suspended. That's no teeth, okay? How, how can you... They, the, uh, unacceptable behavior... Uh, you cannot have that and then hit them with a, a, a 
little slap on the wrist. Right. So you're not one who blames people and shames people into wanting to correct their behaviors and so forth, meaning there are people out there, not necessarily you, who want to blame the individual, meaning that's your choice. You made a choice to do this. You want to shame individuals. You did this, therefore it's your responsibility. Is that your stance 100% or uh, I'm not reading you clear. What is the solution to this alcohol problem, to this substance abuse problem in Gallup? See, I tried for about 30 years in my letter writing to the independent, okay? And then finally I gave up because I saw that there really was no solution. There, I mean, that, that, that was not the solution, okay? Um, um, Cecil Garcia was on the city council. He was my friend. He, he had a problem with alcohol, just like all of us here have had, okay? And he said, he told me, he said, the, alcohol, the uh, uh, banning of alcohol in Gallup is not going to happen in your lifetime or mine. Now, he's passed away, and he was much younger than I am. Okay, but in this young man here, he's a young man. When he gets to be my age, the alcohol sales will still continue. They will not go away. Okay, now, the, because it is mostly natives here, the Navajo government says that there is to be no alcohol sales on the reservation. Yet, all of the convenience stores sell it in what they call checkerboard. Which is ridiculous. Right, that's one That's area. an Anglo term. County, the nat- county territory. Yes. City and, territory. And the Navajo government apparently continues to allow this because they don't want their funding cut off. Okay? So, in the meantime, all these people are dying. In Window Rock, there's no sales. They come to Gallup. Okay? And so, there it is. But if, if, the, if the, the alcohol were stopped on the reservation... The way the Navajo law says, that would be a great, great, great solution. Chris, you are a former alcoholic who has taken part in services offered by Hojo. Is that right? Yes, I've worked closely with uh, Kid and Jay in my recovery. And specifically, what did you do as being a part of Hojo, the Hojo Center? Jay and Ken provided insight into what you were talking about as far as the human behavior, human factor, I believe is what you called it. Condition. Condition, human condition. And to me, that translates to the behavior aspect of it. And, you know, it's not going to, a person is not going to change, you know, no matter how many times they say they're sorry, I'll fix it, until they change that behavior or their human condition. What triggers the change? I mean, what is it that really makes a person change i believe it's different for everybody i don't think there's one cookie cutter solution i believe it transcends to each individual you know i i did everything right in my story went to school got an education i have a civil engineering degree from the university of new mexico uh i had a great job and you know ended up with this addiction and it i could have read all the books in the world i could have done all that but it took the breakdown of someone to actually visually show me how it needed to be changed, my behavior. Define alcoholism and drug addiction. 
What is it? And I'm assuming that you experienced, can I say both or just one or the other? Just alcohol. Okay. What is alcohol abuse? I mean, when does it become abusive? I believe it's just abuse like just anything else when you overindulge in it. You overindulge in food, that's abuse. You overindulge in even exercise, that's abuse to your body. I think it's when you get beyond the point, if there is a point for individuals, to where it's not, you know, the society likes to use recreational. I still don't even know what that means. But for me, it was to a point to where I overindulged to where my behavior was not normal. It wasn't normal for someone <coughs> to drink a 30-pack of beer at one sitting. That's not a normal thing for a person to do. But to define normal for a society would be difficult also. 30 beers, that's quite a lot. I did it better than most. I had a severe problem. And that's what turned me around was sitting in an AA meeting. And you talk about, I you think you labeled that. them from the streets. I sat in there with people that probably drank a pint of whiskey a day. And they were in that same AA meeting or talk. I did 30. I had two trash cans full of bags. Jay, when does alcohol and drug addiction go from every now and then to flat-out abusive? When does it get abusive, and what, what define abusive? Well, <clears throat> I have to agree, first of all, that uh, every individual is different in how they uh, approach and digest and respond to alcohol or drugs, and I come from a perspective that uh, to separate the two is really uh, just a matter of semantics. Uh, alcohol is a drug. It just happens to be legal. Uh, but then so is aspirin. They're all drugs. They all fall under the administrative regulations of the government. Um, but to I think, determine, I think I think that's important to know. I think to of determine, the federal government, the you said the administrative regulation. I think that's important to know. But there's still something called individualism. Continue. Go ahead. Well, in individualism, uh, depending on the individual, uh, the psychic, the environment, the belief systems, all of those come into play. So the mentality and the emotionality involved in the human condition is not the same for everyone. However, we all possess a genuine interior motivation to be who we really are as we develop. Drugs and alcohol would be considered to be absent in that form of mentality. However, once they're introduced into the physical system, they react differently for different people. If you want to define an addiction uh, for an addiction, when I struggled with mine, I still remain addicted to pizza. Yeah, I love pizza, mm -hmm. okay, and I crave it and I want it. Uh, I used to eat a whole pizza and slam a, a pitcher of beer. Well, the only absence now in that same addiction that's feeding on the same desire, want, and craving uh, is the absence of yeah. the beer. But but that wanting, that craving for beer. That's something internally. I mean, that's internal organs at work. Is that right? No. That's, the, that's the human condition. That's the psychology of being human. That's something inside of us. Yeah. And I say no. Is that because, right? Uh, I would have to say no because the physical condition and how the body metabolize, metabolizes any of those ingredients uh, has very little to do with the addiction. The addiction is a psychological uh, chemical imbalance that takes place in the brain that is affected by whatever the substance of addiction is. Uh, 
and that creates a thought pattern that generates, uh, I would say, more, a physical desire for it. Right. But without, without the the genuine gratification that would pass in a period of time. And I it, agree with you. It becomes constant. Yes. And I agree with you with what you just said. But with what you just said, do you agree that that's what you just laid out is characteristic of everybody everywhere? Somehow it just gets out of hand. Somehow. You know what I mean? Something triggers it to go from normal to abnormal. Yeah. Which which is synony- synonymous with abuse. <clears throat> Ken. Yeah, trauma has a lot to do with that drive, that underlying uh, problem trauma. is trauma. Uh, trauma, childhood trauma, growing up in a domestic violence family where mom and dad, boyfriend and girl are fighting all the time when you're five years old trying to get them to stop and quit drinking, you know. And so that trauma is buried. But yet, and then with that, during that time, I, I don't a person see might start drinking at five years old. And so as part of the, how the brain works, the brain remembers that in the sympathetic nervous system, that feel good. And so now then when they find themselves 30 years old, grandpa dies, grandpa was really important in, in, in my life, uh, no longer there, that trauma uh, suddenly triggers that past trauma that we grew up with. And that's a trigger to hit that part of our brain to feel good and we know how to feel good at an early age. Okay. And so what about individualism? I mean, individualism plays a role in this somehow somewhere along the line. There well, is the individual and the decisions that individuals make. That's individualism. Where then does individualism go? When you're talking about you just mentioned a correlation between age and you said 5 years old and trauma and so forth. It's also still individualism. How do you discount, I'm not saying you are, how do you discount individualism from what you just said? At some point, the individual is the individual and has to say or weigh yes and no positives and negatives doesn't individualism figure into what you just said and therefore doesn't individualism figure into the alcohol and substance abuse drug abuse problem in Gallup isn't this directly related to individualism well a person can be an individual but if you're part of the street family the way people are now on the streets, and you don't have the self-confidence to stand up to the peer pressure that street family and which are your friends, if you don't have the self-confidence when you don't want to drink today to deal with the peer pressure that your family, your street family puts on you, 
you're going to continue to drink because that's your only coping mechanism that you have and that you've grown up with. A coping mechanism is people drinking, but they're drinking too much because of the ongoing, like I said, the, the, the pressure that they put themselves under because of being on the street. You think trauma is related to addiction? Yes. That's why, yeah. One of the things that we provide at Hojo is trauma-informed care through our support groups and support one-on-one. Because people listen to us. Like when Jay sits down with somebody, and so can I. Well, we're all peers. Uh, so once that, people are more, li- more willing to trust what we're saying because we've been there. You know, I mean, I had that bottle in my desk at work Mm -hmm. before, and and I ended up not here, but, you know, denial is also a big part of of recovery. And so... Jay, trauma and individualism. You think trauma plays a a role in this? And are, are we generally dismissing individualism i think the severity of the trauma can be a contributor to the desire to seek what ken was talking about yeah, that, g- g- that feel good give an feel. example of trauma i mean this this can be your relationship with your mother or father or both parents yeah. growing up whatever kind of relationship you had impacts your psychology and so forth right yes and i've also Maybe you've heard the expression, if your mother was dominant, then you are a political liberal. I mean, that, that can, you can argue that that's kind of a, a traumatic situation. But trauma versus individualism. Go ahead, trauma. Trauma versus individualism is a good example of that can use where the individual's at the, at the street level. For whatever reason, they started off somewhere with an understanding of life in general, and that's survival. You come out, in fact, the human species is the only species that is absolutely and totally dependent upon the mother at birth. If, if she's removed from the scenario, the baby sits there sucking air and will die. You take a coyote, for instance. Once it gets past the mothering nurturing stage, its environment conditions it to go out and live the way the mother taught it to live. Trauma is the separation. So even though an individual, say, for instance, of the human species is not physically traumatized a separation anxiety can be created at that youth at at five years old three years old two years old that's a demonstration of early childhood trauma it's different for everyone however even at the street level 20 15 years later whatever the individual still has the internal desires for touch, for feeling, for emotion. Right, and for, also has the psychological faculties to make decisions. To make their yes own or decisions. No. This is wrong, this is right. In the addicted mind, that pursuit of homeostasis within the individual that's intrinsic 
It's not a survival skill. They learned survival skills. The intrinsic desire to be who you are. And the basic instincts of the individual are overridden. That even overrides what you would call self-care to get to the level of the individual who's living on the streets. However, the individual probably could have went and ended up on the streets with no intention of remaining there and gets caught up in in it and discovers how serious and dangerous it is, can take themselves out of it. They simply extract themselves from that environment to pursue homeostasis on their own. That's the individualism. Yes, they don't. Uh, There's individuals addiction. on the street who don't drink. Yeah. They don't drink or do drugs, yet they've lost that internal desire for betterment either because they've learned or believe that they don't deserve it, they're not worth it, and that's part of a trauma that they experience. Chris mentions everybody has their story. There are alcoholics and drug addicts in every strata. That's why I mentioned earlier, it's not a socioeconomic thing. It's a totally... uh, Almost spiritual. Yeah. So because some because somebody is making six figures a year, doesn't mean anything when it comes to the human not condition. Not necessarily. No, not when it comes to the addicted <clears throat> mind. And the addicted mind, they say, is part of the person's personality. It's not necessarily. It is something uh, or a change that takes internally in the thought processes of of the intellect that diverts the <clears throat> desire for self care. And it becomes the primary objective of the individual rather than to seek homeostasis, to seek that feel good. We call it chasing the dragon, trying to just feel good. There are individuals who could tell you that they knew they were alcoholic when they took their first drink because how it made them feel. Okay, And they spend a lot of energy and time pursuing that feel good when it's not there. That's not the reason. Lewis, if business owners, people who sell alcohol, people who legally and illegally sell drugs, if they knew what Jay and Ken just said, you think this would have any kind of bearing on them saying, hey, maybe I don't want to sell alcohol anymore. Maybe I don't want to sell drugs anymore. You think that would influence somebody's decision or is this just a purely economic thing? When it comes to business it, it owners, make a when it comes to course. the person, when it comes to the person who has a business license, is he thinking about trauma and individualism and all the stuff that filters into somebody's life who's alcoholic and drug addictive? He's uh, benefiting from the weakness of others in the sale of drugs or alcohol. That's what's happening because the, the liquor dealers know that. They're in business. They're in the legal business. They all will tell you that. Last time I looked, New Mexico says that we can sell it, and so they do. Okay, but they are operating on the weakness of others. Everybody cannot uh, control. There are people that can take one drink and not drink the rest of the day. There are people that can do that, but most cannot because it is addicting. It's addicting. The the object of weakness is is a non, it's a it doesn't play into it. Alcoholism and drug addiction are not. Well, I'm sure that's not on. weaknesses of the individual. It's not a psychological dementation. It's not a spiritual deficit. 
uh, or nor is it a physical weakness. So if we lecture, it is a weakness. Every single, we'll, we'll come back to that. If if we lecture every single business owner who sells alcohol, you don't think it's ultimately going to register that hey, you shouldn't do this. No, it's not going to register. Even Absolutely if not. You interviewed They're in all the legal of, business. Why should they? The people that sell I wouldn't guns. quit if I was in the sale of that stuff. Lewis, mm-hmm. go ahead. You said you wouldn't quit if you were selling it. No, I mean I'd continue selling it if, I, if that was my. If I owned a liquor store or a bar, I would continue. It's my business and it's legal. What about the impact it has on people? I would in some cases severe, severe, severe the impact. Of, of alcohol licenses are aware of the damage that it does. But that does not deter them, and it never will. It never has, and it never will. Then individualism, would you say, has to take a role, has to play a role in substance abuse, in alcohol abuse and drug abuse. Individualism has to jump in somewhere and say, wait a minute. You agree? We, uh, uh, what is happening is, with all alcoholics, including me. I wouldn't listen at the time, okay? The book of Proverbs talks about the wisdom of accepting instruction. When you're being told by your parents and other people and people that care about you that you're on the wrong track, you need to get off of that. Look at what you're doing to yourself and what you're doing to others, okay? So the in- or the unwillingness, I started to say inability, but it's unwillingness to take instruction is what does it, okay? The trauma, forget that. I have had three wives die, okay? I lost them to death, okay? That was after I quit drinking. I never took a drop. I still didn't drink. I felt like hell, but I did not drink. And I didn't do it because of my personal strength. I did it because I asked God to help me. And he did help me. I don't claim uh, superior intelligence or, 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 th- or that I'm stronger than anybody. And I, that's why I've been off of it this long. No. I know that God has allowed this to happen for me. And I thank God through Christ for that. Jay, if we take away every single liquor license from a business owner, does that help? Is that the answer? No. There have been the moonshiners that even glamorize it on TV now about moonshining and all of that's been going on since Noah. It's not the licensure of an individual who is allowed to conduct what would be considered a legitimate business. Right. And I guess the unconsciously point, right. is not a demon or demon possessed yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, and you are a former bar owner. I, I guess the, the point that can be made is. Being an alcoholic and a drug addict is bad, but being the supplier, the seller, might be worse. I don't know if you can legitimately say that, but the person selling the alcohol has just as much blame as the person drinking it. Have you heard that argument before? I've heard it before, and and that's that's like saying that the individuals who— as many people as are killed in auto accidents yearly are equal to those killed by drugs and alcohol. There's more people killed in auto accidents who don't drink or, dr- or drug, yet they're still killed. So we should uh, stop selling cars. It's just not 
That's make a good sense. analogy. Chris? Are the alcohol sellers, do they get blamed somewhere along the line, you think? You know, when I was going through my process, um, one of the first questions the judge asked is, where were you? And I thought that was an odd question. And I answered. And I guess repercussions did come down for that particular seller. And But bottom line is, individualism, I chose to go there. Nobody made me. No commercial, no buddy, no best friend. I decided because my behavior was out of whack. So to blame the seller or the dealer for a problem, I don't, I don't agree with that. Do you think organizations like Hojo, do they help or do they perpetuate, create some sense of dependency? Do organizations that do what Hojo does, do they help or do they perpetuate an already out-of-hand problem? They help. And I'm living proof of it. And like we've been saying, and it's been echoed through this room throughout the afternoon, it's all the individual and how they accept it and what they do take. One of the big things you hear through any alcohol recovery program is take what you can, take what you want, leave the rest. So it's up to the individual, I believe. And I've worked with Ken and Jay on both accounts. And still to this day, after four and a half years of going through the program, I regurgitate things that they do say. And their programs do work. I'm living proof. Four and a half years, I'm literally back to the life I had before I became an alcoholic. Lewis, do organizations like Hojo, on the surface, do they help? Or do they perpetuate the problem and further dependency? Time, and you are told you are, you are they a former do not alcoholic. Help. Mm -hmm. They don't. However, I am for continuing with it. In in the Bible, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter thirty-three, verse eight and nine, it tells us to help others, no matter what. So some of these guys are not going to listen. There will be a few that will, but some that don't, they don't. But we are not to stop helping people. No. I believe that they are on the right track. Ken, where is Hojo located? How long has it been there? And are there any efforts to get additional locations for Hojo? Well, right now we are in uh, the Howard Johnson. We have uh, a suite. We have an office there. So that's our location. Howard Johnson's Hotel, Howard Johnson West Hotel, Gallup, right? Yes, in Gallup, on the west side. Um. How do you measure success? Obviously, we have one person here, Chris, who benefited from the services of Hojo. How do you measure success with somebody who attends Hojo? And do you have any stats regarding the agency that you can share well, uh, to me, it's how many successfully we, we get into treatment uh, at Four Corners. Uh, four, 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 four Corners, corners Detox. Detox right. and Recovery Center. Where is that, that by uh, the way? That's, that's over on Hassler Road. It's over by the, the pantry, past the pantry. Um, 
and we, the people that that we see um, who aren't drinking, uh, who are uh, coming to our groups and and are engaged, I think that's probably the best way to look at it. People who become engaged in the reco- in their recovery, uh, see, it's a lot. It's a pro. Everybody's got a different process to go through. Um, so I think that. Having people that that aren't drinking and seeing that, uh, you know, and then the, those are relapse, uh, we're still there. Right. So for for not, as many success stories as you have, uh-huh. there are people who have not been successful also repeatedly. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, I mean, I can go to Hojo all day long and all day uh-huh. next week, but that doesn't mean anything uh, unless the individual wants to take some kind of well, and, and that's the trick, Bernie, and that's where the work is, is getting to them, getting a person engaged to say, not just I want to quit, but to actually take those steps. And that's the hard part for, for some people, for some people. So um, currently, Hojo is located West Gallup inside the Howard Johnson's Hotel. What do you provide? Specifically, you provide shelter or no? Well, we assist people in getting shelter through Nova 3, which is a, a program that is working on getting their licensure. We, we, we've got that through licensure for We're Licensure for what? For To open up as a treatment center, open up as a treatment program. Um, but they're, they're, we're working with battered families. Is Hojo a residential? A residential? No, Facility we're not, we're of, not of any kind. Right okay. now, we're just finding people a, a safe place to stay. Right. So you you more or less get off the street. More mm-hmm. or less counseling. Well, yeah, we well, that's what provide peer help support. in that respect. That's what peer support is. Right, but you also work with other agencies we to maybe house yeah, people, transitional housing, yeah, and so forth. Referral. Right. Referral. And our but, numbers. Uh, I guess I'd like to turn that over to Jay because he's more involved with that on an admin level than right. I am. But you would say Hojo is a success and has been since it's been in Gallup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a work in motion, you know, because, because this type of thing has never been done before. In terms, there are drop-in centers. We we started out as a drop-in center for folks with who are homeless and mentally ill. Uh, I got involved because I believe and still do that people that have been uh, classified or labeled as mentally ill have brain injuries, and there's a difference between a brain injury and someone with mental illness. What what, what is mental illness? I mean, de- de- define mental illness. Well, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a doctor. Uh, there's all kinds of mental illness or schizophrenia. I mean, me- mental illness is not me going outside and seeing somebody screaming out of their minds about whatever. Well, that's mental illness. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, yeah, that's probably that's a severe form severe, of mental yeah. illness. That can only be di- diagnosed, diagnosed by an yeah. individual. We do not do diagnoses diagnose, yeah. at Hojo. When we operate from, there's two models. One of them is the social model. The other one is the medical model. The medical model requires credentialed, licensed, recognized individuals to pinpoint a particular diagnosis. 
so that the medicines necessary for the regulation of whatever that disease is can be administered correctly. Right. And the, the social, social model mm-hmm. simply addresses the immediate issue of the individual at a man-to-man level without judgment, without cause, without any type of stigma as to why the individual is in the situation they're in. If alcohol or drugs is a contributor to that condition, then we can address it, and Chris is a, is a and, is an and that's example. where the that's where the counseling yeah. aspect of Hojo comes a, in. It's not a bad human being. It's not there intrinsically nothing seriously wrong with this individual. It's all external, and, and it is a creation of the individual. And if and necessary, the, you can refer somebody to whoever well, they need yes. to be, based on the fact of if you deem them social or yeah. medical. And the peer association is not nothing. It's not something new. Peer peer recovery resource have been around for since the Pilgrims. But in any case, the um, AA or NA AA more than NA was originally was originally created by alcoholics who had come to their own diagnoses and identified and admitted and took ownership of their problem and then shared how they overcame it collectively with other individuals in a non-judgmental fashion in not saying that it is an evil or you are evil or you are sinful or anything like that but they simply approached it for what it was it was a human life condition that is being is out of control and the only way to (coughs) do or to retain control is to take ownership of that condition. The individual you're the talking individual. about. Ken? How do you do that is the question. Right. I worked with juveniles, okay, uh, 13, 14-year-olds. For me to go in there and tell them, you know, if you're going to be drinking and drugging, uh, you're going to lose your your life and your car and your job and all of that stuff, they just sit there and look at you like, hmm, you're old and you're okay. You know, you made it. You're all right. And uh, I'm not married and I don't have a car. And uh, I don't have a job, you know, but they're right to that same type of information on an educational level as is as vital to them as learning to read, write, arithmetic and whatever. You cannot have the experience without retaining the memory and recollection of what happened to you. That doesn't go away. However, you do have that internal condition called nature i guess the human nature that lets you know that for whatever reasons that all happened to you it is not who you are it is what you became and once you take ownership of that and you can move back to who you know yourself to really be with an attitude of truth and ownership you can become or overcome is the word so people who experience hojo can, I'm not saying learn all of that, but at least become aware of what you just said? Yes. And they cannot, whether they're there one time or a hundred times, cannot have the experience without getting anything out of it. How they apply that experience to their life experience is whether or not it's going to determine if what we offer is what they really want, and then they take the necessary steps to acquire it. We don't get anybody sober. 
they get themselves sober. We don't give them a new home to live in. We give them shelter so that they can think with clarity to go out and get their own home, which the majority of them is already a part of their life experience. How did we lose that? Who knows? Ken, has the coronavirus had an impact on what Hojo does? And have there been illnesses and deaths, with all due respect, with clients and workers and so forth? In what way has Hojo impacted, been, been impacted by the coronavirus, illnesses and deaths? Well, I, I, think more, I think people are under more stress because of, of COVID. And one of the things that we did when we were over on Maloney is that we shut down the, our, our main room because of COVID. The previous location, right? Yeah, because we, we averaged 50 to 90 people a day coming into Hojo. And it would have just how everything worked. It looked by March that this was an airborne virus, and because we had no no uh, ventilation in in Hojo, and no windows, uh, all we had was uh, a swamp cooler. But but the heater, especially in March, because I remember it was still pretty it was still cold, and with that heater, it would have circulated Hojo. Uh, COVID all over. So it would have been a lot worse. Uh, And right now, you know, uh, COVID's affected us because we, we can't, uh, it went through a period that we can't be public because of it. So dealing with people, that's where I come in with the outreach and dealing with people on the street. Uh, But we haven't had, there haven't been any deaths or I mean, there have been deaths, don't get me wrong, because there are people that would come into Hojo who have passed because of COVID, but that's something that, that, that they got out on the street. And, but, but we closed down our main room specifically so that we wouldn't become a, a spreader, so we wouldn't it, have been a spreader. It's part of your outreach, because I see street people, and I see them going in, to places like Safeway and buying alcohol. And I'm not labeling somebody a street person just because they're on the street, but they seem to fit the description of someone who looks like they've been on the streets for a long time or living on the streets, and they're buying alcohol. What, what do you do in cases like that? If so-and-so is on the street, isn't alcohol worsening? Yeah, well, you the don't situation? buy it for them. You don't buy it for them. Well, then what do you, you do? Don't I mean, give them, you know, I, I usually, when people, when they're panhandling and uh, want money, I usually give them food instead. Or I say, no, I don't have any money. I, th- I think giving someone the means to purchase alcohol, that's enabling. And so I don't do that. And I don't think any, any of your listeners should eat. give people food. Give them, you know, a ride if they want to get out of the cold. Uh, if they see someone that does look inebriated, call dispatch because now that it's cold, they could freeze. So that's something that people can do. I started a, this a, an awareness. Uh, one death is too many. 
awareness when at the hospital here about three years ago, and that's still ongoing. But I really encourage your listeners, if they see someone who is inebriated, especially now when it's starting to get cold, cold to call the, uh, the PC, call, call dispatch at 722-2002 so that they can give them help. You mentioned that this is connected to the brain. Uh-huh. And my interpretation of that is when the addiction makes a connection with the brain, basically forget it. You're going to need more than what Hojo provides. You may need more, something more than psychological help. Is there a connection between addiction and, and the brain? Yeah. Yeah, that's where a lot of this, well, it all comes from that, that whether it's dopamine or whatever. But no, the, and because the people are under so much stress on the streets, that part of their brain to where they can look at consequences or look at, uh, well, if I drink any, I'm, man, I'm going to go to NCI or it's getting cold, I'm going to freeze. Th- they can't think with that part of their brain because that lizard brain in the limbic system uh, is in control. It shuts out the ability for a person to to look at consequences, problem solve, make good decisions. So so and and so the more people that are on the street and they're they're under chronic stress, they're under chronic fight or flight, and so th- that's much harder to remember on what they should be doing. And and there's a lot of people that that, that I see. Uh, especially if it's compounded by a brain injury or any other kind of an issue that makes it harder to process information, remember things. Those are all part of the brain that, that come in. Uh, in the amygdala, that's part of relapse. Uh, that's where, I mean, that's part of the brain that is triggered by the trauma and the stress that people are under. And, and but but by learning how to relax, it's called mindfulness, mindfulness-based stress, re- stress reduction, mindfulness meditation. With with mindfulness, that helps people to unplug that limbic system and go to the homeostasis that Jay talks about, to where balance and harmony uh, is 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 accessible is accessible. Lewis, so. Getting rid of half of the liquor alcohol licenses in McKinley County, that's not really the solution. You agree? Prohibition proved that. It was banned nationwide. And there was still a proliferation of alcohol, even when prohibition was on the books. It might have been worse. (laughs) They had what they called speakeasies back then, bars, okay, that were just simply hidden. And police, of course, were paid off to not shut them down. So half or even the complete banning of alcohol in Gallup wouldn't help. It wouldn't do it. Neither would taking away somebody's license or or no. something along those lines. No, it would not help. It would not. There, I remember when most of Main Street was all bars. You had the Little Rock and the... Commercial and all kinds of bars, okay? Liberty and all that. They're all gone. 
the problem has increased. It hasn't decreased because those bars are gone. You think the problem it is, is bigger? You think so? I know so. I was, I've been here. I've been here all this time when all this was going on. In a couple of days, if God allows, I will be 87 years old. So I've been here a while. Congratulations. I've seen all of this. I've seen it with my own eyes. And plus, I've lived it. I've, I've gone through the fires. Just like everyone else here has. Hmm. So through your letters to the editor in the Gallup Independent and through your speeches to entities like the Navajo Nation and so forth, you're not blaming anyone. What, what, what are you, uh, what would you say the point is that you're trying to make when you speak before Navajo Nation Council delegates, when you write a letter to the editor, when you confront somebody in a position of authority, what are you trying to get across with, with those people? There are consequences or, or with, or with to unacceptable behavior. Okay, you're going to have to, like I said earlier, Hojo or whoever, AA or whoever, they're not going to quit drinking for you. They can advise you and tell you what they've been through and tell you what's ahead for you if you don't quit. They can do all that, but they cannot quit for you. You, it's on you if you quit or you don't. There are zillions of great people here that don't drink at all, and they try to help people. I haven't had a drink in 41 years, and I continue to try to help people. I still do it, and I will continue to do it. I'll never stop. So, with, with the, AA to me is meaningless. It doesn't mean a thing. It doesn't do any good. I went there when my grandson was told to go there. I went with him, and I saw. I had never been there before, and I saw the way they operate. It doesn't help anybody. Now, this Hojo, I think, helps people. They're talking to people one-on-one. -on -one. They're not feeding you a bunch of stuff, and so... We can attempt to help people. We can attempt to do that like they're doing. And then it's up to them. Take that instruction, run with it, or remain where you are and end up in the grave. Jay, you served on the city council for about... Sorry? And I didn't relapse. Right, okay. That was the acid test. Yeah. <laughs> if... <coughs> Politicians know that there is an excess of licenses for businesses to sell alcohol. Why not do something about it? Why not just why not say we're only supposed to have 10, but we have almost 100. Why not put a stop to that? Why not point that out to somebody? You know, I mean, it's hindsight now, but why not bring that up to somebody at some point? We're violating some kind of social moray. We're in violation of some kind of law that's on the New Mexico books. Do politi are politicians aware of this excessive amount 
of liquor licenses in McKinley County? I'm sure they are. But they're, they're a, po- a politician's job is not to be an activist, uh, to raise a banner against or for a certain cause. Uh, a politician's uh, job is to serve the people that put him in that position. And part of that service is not uh, conquering or diminishing other individuals. It's allowing them to have access to the same securities that the law provides. So to go out and say that we could end obesity by closing all the donut shops again, uh, that's not the answer. You're dealing with a social dilemma that is created by the human condition, if you will, that has been here historically since the Bible. Immemorial, right, since, since the since beginning of time. Immemorial, right? yeah. And, and you can't make it a moral issue uh, because the morality then puts judgment on the individual for not responding to a law that is not written sociably. It's an unseen law. Recovery operates on that same principle, but the law of understanding is written in the heart of the individual. So then you would agree that economics figures into this. <laughs> economics. For example, for example, if I have the USA. Mm-hmm, if I have a right, <laughs> if I have a liquor license, that means I can make a lot of money and it also means I'm going to think two and three times before I get rid of that liquor license. I'd almost be foolish the liquor, to get rid of a liquor license. The liquor licenses in McKinney County uh, have been established more than 100 years. Okay. That long? That long, if not longer. The re... I would say with the reassessing re or redistribution of them is even familial. Turning over a family business, part of that business is the possession of that liquor license. Even though all the bars are gone in downtown Gallup, that's good. That's a social straight change that was created by the political system responding to the anguish of the people involved. Right. They were all businesses, but those liquor licenses were sold or transferred to another location. All of the, and this is, I have issue with this, they send the mixed message, they're only now responding to it, gas stations selling liquor. They say, don't drink and drive, but fill up your tank and your trunk at the same time, you know, but don't mix the two. Uh, it It doesn't make sense. However, it's a perfectly legitimate operation if you own a liquor license to sell donuts or candy or gas or whatever you want and alcohol as a part of your business credential. Right. So. And I think we agreed getting rid of liquor licenses isn't really going to do anything. You're no going to hurt somebody economically, but you're not going to really put a dent in alcohol or substance abuse mm-hmm. or anything like that. Well, that, that's yeah. not mm, another example. For it, it, that's not a viable solution. No, it's not. Uh, that that would be uh, like I said earlier, like shutting down all the donut shops to fight obesity. Uh, people are still going to eat, and, and they're going to eat to whatever maximum they feel is comfortable for them. Uh, the economics of it is international, 
and the political will to make a difference in anything that is economically driven is uh, is daunting to say the least because you're dealing with a livelihood and with the wheels that mechanize our system. Uh, and um, if money is the bottom line, and it always is, um, it's, it's pointless to say that by putting someone out of business is, is going to have any effect on the human condition. Chris, people don't think about the politics <clears throat> and the economics when they're buying a beer when they're getting drunk, or do they? I mean, when you're buying a beer, are you thinking about politics or the economics associated with substance abuse? Well, since I've been through Ken and Jay's pl- program, I think about everything now. Like Ken talked about mindfulness. But before then, no, I didn't. I could because I had a job, I had a home, I had a vehicle, I had a career. So I felt entitled. And no one was going to keep me from it. And did I think of the consequences? No. It's because I was living on the backside of my brain. The consequences weren't there. Was I aware of them? Oh, yeah. There's a commercial at every bar that says NDWI. So, yeah, I was aware of them. I just didn't fathom the fact that I could have any consequences. I really felt untouchable. And I felt entitled. Can you mention that? Hojo works with several entities like Gallup Express, like Veterans, like Battered Women's Association of Gallup. Explain what that is and what happens with the partnerships with those organizations. Well, um, we refer people to those different organizations, so that's one way of working with them. We collaborate with them. We talk to the, their uh, staff. Uh, with battered families, battered families came to us here, oh, it was probably in May uh, of, yeah, of this year. They had extra money that they had to spend. And they wanted to put people in a safe place to live. Uh, and so we, we worked with, with them specifically uh, to get people into Howard Johnson. But collaboration and, and partnerships are an important thing to, to do to, so that we can all get on the same page. One of the things that I've seen here over, over the years is that sometimes there's not that much collaboration. We know who we are and what we do, but in terms of supporting each other, that's what really is important. And that's what good communication uh, and is, is all about. That's how we all get stronger when we know what each of us is doing and how we can work together to help the people here. So a couple of the groups that you partner <laughs> with are who? Who's your partners with, say, the McKinley County Adult Detention Center, Gallup Express? <laughs> elaborate on that. Well, I don't know what you mean by elaborate other than that we work with them. Uh, we provide bus bus tickets for people through through uh, Gallup Express, uh, we work closely with Tommy Mims there, the director. Uh, we're working with the uh, McKinley County 
uh, jail, McKinley County Detention Center, uh, trying to bring more services in there. I've been meeting with the warden. Uh, we've had meeting battered families is going to expand some of their services in there, uh, anger management, life skills, and then domestic violence counseling. Uh, it's these types of partnerships that I think this has helped uh, that the Hojo has been involved with a lot. Uh, to uh, expand services, like I mentioned, Four Corners. Uh, we've got more services here now. Lewis mentioned about that he, he sees really nothing changing, and that's 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 pretty. And and you can see that because the number of or the people that are on the street. But back here about four years, three years ago, when I first started put doing my groups at NCI, there was an average of ninety people a day in the 72s for my groups now over the years i've been doing the, my groups again there and now it's down to about five to ten people instead of the 90. so we are seeing progress it's just hard to see you know uh but but we are making progress there are there are more opportunities for treatment for people uh, so things are changing. I think that we're making a turn in terms of the number of people that are in recovery successfully. Uh, Chris is a fine example of, of what can be done, but you got to work it. You mm -hmm. got, you know, Jay and I can tell people all we want, but unless they like pick up what we're saying and then take it to that action stage. Hojo is only a resource. Right. One of the many, many resources we collaborate with. Uh, and we come from a perspective of harm reduction and risk management. In other words, if you can snatch only one out of a thousand from the fire of destruction, that's a success story. Yeah. Okay. It, so it's Hojo. It's it Hojo. It is the individual willing to stick their hand into the fire. Is, is Hojo a public that. agency? Does yes. it operate on public funds? Where do funds, operational funds, come from? We are part of the Office of Peer Recovery Enhancement, which is a state organization that is overseen by the federal organizations, um, the state of New Mexico, overseen, of course, by... Uh, the cabinet, the Department of Health and Human Services. So it's it's not just uh, like we're a, a little spot on the map. There's there are huge networks that are involved uh, not only in Gallup but across the country uh, and around the world. The epidemic is a good example. If it did anything at all, it brought humanity to the surface where it can now respond to the dangers of simply being alive present on an international scale. So it was a perfect storm, I guess. Right. It didn't help us, but it helped, I think, uh, society worldwide to understand that it is very necessary that if we don't help each other, we will perish, regardless of our status in life. For a political point of view. Of course. <laughs> Final words. Chris? Uh, like I said, you know, first of all, I should give my thanks to Ken and Jay for working with me. And, you know, the individual part of it, That's I think that's the key point. And whether or not a person can have all the resources that they need, you can give them 
everything they need. I come from the construction industry. I could give someone a 490 Komatsu and tell them to dig a ditch. If he don't know how to use that Komatsu, he don't train how to use it, it'll never benefit him, even though he's got that expensive a piece of equipment. So it comes down to resources and working it. And I'm just thankful that I'm here today. Jay, final words. I have to commend Chris. That was well put. We are our own greatest resource. That is human resources of the individual and uh, the connection and the need we have for each other in our own homeostasis has to be part of that grand picture. Um, I'm not sure. I think it was Martin Luther King uh, who said that the definition or identity of a society is going to be how they treat their most vulnerable. And uh, we're obliged to do that. I have to commend Chris and Lewis for their activism. And Ken, me and Ken would have never hooked up if it wasn't for his participation in the mental health field and and helping other individuals. I've been a LADAC for 28 years. I'm a licensed drug and alcohol counselor. I do not operate in that capacity. Uh, At the Hojo Center, I use the social model that allows me to divulge for myself my own weaknesses and, and struggles that I had with my own addiction. But I learned out of those books. I did my field study on myself. Uh, so I know exactly what Ken is talking about. I know what Lewis is talking about and where he's coming from. And I know where Chris is, is talking about and where he's coming from. However, the individuality of all of us here and our expression of our concern for each other is probably the most valuable asset we have. So, uh, closing remarks as far as the Hojo goes. You asked earlier, do you think it's necessary? Uh, Very much so. It's necessary even in the description of the word itself, Hojo, harmony. You had some stats you wanted to share or or no? Well, I only brought, uh, these are averages, okay, and uh, they're down. They were up uh, 2019, 2020. Uh, we were seeing like 3,000 people a month. COVID forced everyone into a place where we could get them at least fed and give them information as to what they had to do. And a lot of them had to go home. But uh, this is just a short example. If we have any individuals or our visitors for the month of January, we had 26. Uh, these are individuals that come to our door to our program. It was 2021. This is 2021, January of this year when I came back to work. I came out of retirement for the The third third time. time. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, 26 uh, individuals, seven males, uh, uh, excuse me, seven females, 19 males uh, with no duplicate signatures. In other words, these are fresh new individuals who have come down. I can jump down from there. Uh, down to November of last uh, last month, when it really, really starts getting cold. We had 109 individuals come in, 28 male and uh, f- only four females. So that's an indication there that individuals who have had previous experience at least have enough knowledge and enough wherewithal to say, I need to get out of this pandemic state and get somewhere. And take care of myself. So I mean that the, the pandemic was a kind of the perfect storm. It uh, was a double-edged sword. Yeah, but it did allow for the 
rising to the surface of the tremendous need of services. And Hojo is not the only, there is a lot or are a lot of programs in Gallup, New Mexico. People who think that there aren't, uh, simply aren't accessing them. Right, so you're not the only... Oh, no. Well, there, uh, if you were to go to the county, I'm sure they have a, I don't know what you would call directory. it, a directory uh, that identifies uh, the, there's easy, yeah. 500 easy, more if not more. Right. Uh, and probably the most significant are the churches. Those Christian faith-based organizations that take on all comers but have been doing it since time immemorial, doing the same thing that these other agencies are trying to do at a societal level. Lewis, final words. We are the creation, the created. God is the creator. So the human does not exist that can help us more than Christ can help. He tells us that his load is light for us to take our problems to him. That's why, like I said earlier, I don't make any claims of of personal strength on my own. I don't claim that. I know that it is God that it helps me. As far as the denominations are concerned, they're all fakes. There's not a one mentioned in the Bible. So we need to take it to Christ and Christ takes it on to God the Father, not to the so-called churches. Well put. Ken? Yeah, again, I just want to thank you, Bernie, for this opportunity that we can have here today. Um, You know, I just want people, it's really hard. It's hard work to quit drinking, you know. There's nothing easy about it. and but it's up to the individual it really is ultimately a, well but that individual that's part that, of it and right. a huge part of it oh yeah yeah and as chris yeah. is an example of that and so but it's difficult uh living on the streets and that's why there's important to have groups like hojo that, that, that people can feel like they they trust the the goodness that we're doing in the goodness that we're doing so that they can come and have uh, a uh, support have the support that they need along their journey we're trying to get people to into into treatment and it succeed now we have some places that that people can go uh, we encourage you know people to come by our office the hojo uh, see what we do, and uh, see what they can do to help us. Thank you to each of you for attending and explaining, putting some light on Hojo, the Hojo Center, and alcohol and drug abuse and substance abuse generally. This is Gallup News, KGLP, Gallup Public Radio 91.7, Bernie Dodson. Thank you.